it was like one of those things when someone would bring something up, my ears would get red and I'd have like this little pit in my stomach. I'd be like, oh, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. I can't talk about this. Yeah. And one of these psychedelic experiences, I found myself right back in that last situation I was in. And I was like, I don't want to be here. This is not what I asked for. It's not my intention. Thank you for everyone who is joining. Today, we have Matt Zeman joining the podcast, and you recently had a book come out, and the title is Psychedelics for Everyone, if I'm correct. It is indeed, yeah. Yes. How's the book going? Oh, it's been amazing. It's been yeah. so much fun to get this out and to have uh, and to see the response and and just to get this information out there. It's been it's been really a fun process. It's really cool. So I um I'm very new to the psychedelic space. I haven't explored a ton myself because I kinda had back to back babies, but I'm very curious and we've been watching all the docuseries and obviously like you know my husband Eric is very deep in into that space. Um mm-hmm. what got you initially started with psychedelics and like that curiosity? Yeah, I wish I had a great story that I had this I was ready to go and I, I knew I needed to come to psychedelics and that's not true at all. I had some friends who had suggested that I participate with them. Uh, they had hired a guide and had set up a whole ceremony and said, hey, we're doing this. Do you want to come? I was like, I don't know. It's not really my thing. I'm not a drug person. I don't drink that much. It's mm-hmm. uh, And they, they really nudged me and said, you know, you love to travel. And this is like taking a journey in your mind and you love to learn. And there's no better way to learn about yourself. And this would probably be good for you. And maybe they knew me better than I knew myself at that point. So uh, I just did it. And uh, into the experience, just couldn't believe how beautiful and profound of an experience. And I was like, I need to know more about what this is and um, yeah, how this works. And it completely changed my life since that moment. That's a really big leap of faith. Mm. <laughs> like a really big leap of faith. I also, um, I didn't really drink a ton. I had never done drugs uh, growing up. My dad was a cop. So we- He like, frowned I, upon that? It wasn't even frowned. It was like, <laughs> like this is going to sound probably like out of bounds and it, it probably is, but it, I guess it worked. So I watched at a very young age, he had me watch one of like those true crime kind of things. And all I remember um, like seared into my mind was like, you know, when they do like the flashback and it's all dramatic with the music and they're like and when they recovered her body three hours later it was still at 115 degrees she had cooked from the inside out and i was like i am never doing drugs at all and he made me think that like any drug would would kill you like everything was deadly um so i had a ton of fear around it so the first time that i even smoked weed i thought i was going to overdose because that's how ignorant i was to to anything i was like everything is um is bad, deadly, dangerous, and it's going to make you be like this very lazy person and um, not be like a functioning member of society. Like the very uh, like straight line kind of narrative that I think a lot of us were raised on. So when like this stuff, when psychedelics started becoming more popularized, it took a lot of, um, I guess, like unraveling of my own ideas that I had about it because I didn't want, I wanted to go in with a like a beginner's mindset. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to like have all these, because I had never done it. So I'm like, everything I'm basing my ideas on this, um, this plant is not like firsthand knowledge and it's not from anyone that's like actually successfully used it for like healing purposes. It's just from one narrative and that was like from the law. Mm-hmm. So um, the more I learned about it, the more I'm like, this seems like there's a lot of um, possibility. And then Johns Hopkins started doing their studies with maps. And I'm like, well, if they're doing it, there is something. Um, but yeah, to take that leap of faith is is pretty massive because I would have been scared 
out of my boots. I remember my first one we did with Roger and I did it by myself in the Uber ride there. Um, I was like just trembling. I was like, I have no idea what I'm in for. And wow. I love Roger and I trust mm-hmm. him with everything. So I can't imagine not knowing the facilitator, um, what that would be like. And you, did you do psilocybin for your I did, first one? I did. Um, about five, six grams of psilocybin for that first journey. Holy cow. Yeah. I did three and I was like, whoa, it was a big one. It mm-hmm. took me, it took me deep in, mm-hmm. um, yeah, had a had a ego death and had a connection with my mom who died when I was younger and wow. um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It's it is interesting though. All of us, anyone born after 1970, all we've known is prohibition. Yes. So you talk about this is the law's perspective, and sure it is. It was definitely your father's perspective, but it's also everywhere we look in society. As we grew up, it was just say no. Drugs are bad. There's mm-hmm. no medicinal use. There's mm-hmm. they're going to fry your brains. You're going to get addicted. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get hurt. And uh, and everywhere, and, and I'm sure in lots of books you've read, magazines, mm-hmm. television, that, that message that your father is giving you is reinforced. Right. So um, those of us working in the psychedelic medicine space, this is our biggest, one of our biggest challenges is overcoming 50 years of programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and people hear psychedelics, it's like, ooh, that, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, LSD, part of the reason there's not as much research now on LSD as there is in some of these other medicines is there is just so much baggage that came along during those years, and it just wasn't worth the uh, wasn't worth the fight. Mm-hmm. So interesting because the more transparency, I guess, that we have now because of the internet, the more mm-hmm. you realize how much of an agenda there was when it comes to psychedelics. So I remember for it was, I think it might might have been one of the Dare commercials for weed, and it was it had the frying pan yeah, with your and the eggs, yeah, and the eggs mm-hmm. were your brain. But that was funded by like the alcohol companies. So it's really interesting. When you ask yourself, and again, if you really take your bias out of the picture, you're like, why are these things illegal when alcohol is legal? Like I can go buy a bottle of Jack and like do way more damage to myself than I can do with cannabis. Like that's just a fact. Like cannabis isn't going to kill me. I don't think anyone has ever died from weed. Like that's like a good fact check, but I don't, I don't believe so. Um, I guess when it comes to the decriminalization and potentially the legalization, like what what are your thoughts on that? Because I mean, I have my own, but I want to hear yours first. So I want to back up for a moment, just talk. And there's lots of really great research out there about uh, where they take psychotropic drugs and they talk about what is the harm of this particular drug to yourself or to others, mm-hmm. and what what is more or less. So they've done ratings of different drugs, mm-hmm. and if you look at the charts with these on the far left hand side, you see things like alcohol, tobacco, heroin, but sticking with just alcohol and tobacco, perfectly legal, mm-hmm. not a lot of discussion about, uh, 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 yeah, it's, it's perfectly legal. Right. On the far right-hand side of those charts, a, a fraction of the harm would be things like LSD, psilocybin, even ecstasy is far in that right-hand, MDMA is far in that right-hand side. Mm-hmm. So what is scheduled uh, as illegal has nothing to do with science and it's just and you're right the internet has been really helpful in getting people to understand that come to their own conclusions and realize oh we were fed a a bunch of nonsense for all these years and now that's a uh, that's overturning mm-hmm. i did completely in this thought lost track of the question you asked though that kicked this off no that that was very useful okay. and, and helpful um it was like what is your opinion when it comes to decriminalization and mm. legalization of those because obviously there's uh there's a big spectrum when it comes to psychedelics and I would love to get into that with you as well. Like um, 
I know cannabis technically isn't a psychedelic, but you can have psychedelic mm-hmm. experiences on it if you do it in like the right setting. So even including that all the way up to, let's say, um, DMT, which is probably like the big daddy of or the five mall, DMT. or like yeah, ayahuasca, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so on that gradient, like does that change or is it, do you see it kind of like as an umbrella? Like if one is decriminalized, like they kind of all should be like, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? So it's really interesting. So people find themselves curious about psychedelic medicine for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Some approach it from a medical perspective. I have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety or OCD or an eating disorder or a substance use challenge. Um, And and it's very medical. I want to be healed from this. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Let's put that in a bucket. Then other people approach it and say, I... I'm cur- I want to connect to something bigger. I want a spiritual experience. I want to understand more about what happens after uh, after I die. I want to understand more about how we're connected. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. so let's call that the religious camp. And then there's others who approach it um, more recreationally. I want an experience. Um, and I guess there's a fourth camp too, which is the biohacking. I mm-hmm. want to optimize myself. I want to be the best me I can be. And I'm not really thinking of myself as having anxiety or thinking of myself as having wanting religion. I just mm-hmm. want to be better. Mm-hmm. I think all four ways are beautiful ways to approach the medicine. They're just different. Mm-hmm. And they're different philosophically and they're different legally. So we're and, and, and kind of societally. Like as a society, if you come, oh, you are you have something that needs fixing, okay, I can I might be able to allow you to do that. Um, I want to do this as a religion. Mm, that's not like the religions that we grew up in. I'm not sure how I feel about you doing that. Mm-hmm. I want to biohack that's or recreationally, no. Uh-uh, I'm 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 in charge of your body. I'm gonna tell you no that that's not okay. And that's mm-hmm. It's very strange to look at, like who gets to decide what we get to do mm-hmm. for regardless of how you approach it. And then the last thing I'll say in this is regardless of where you start, in my experience, it becomes completely overlapped and intertwined very quickly into your first psychedelic experience where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I thought I was going to do it for this reason. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking about this or this from these other camps. Mm-hmm. So I've only had one Um, experience with psilocybin and it wasn't like I didn't get the visuals and you know all of those really beautiful things that people talk about I do think it was healing for me um it just wasn't like obviously profound it was like one of those things that kind of had like a little drip effect where it compounded like throughout time why do you think it was healing for you so I like I'm a very kinesthetic person Mm -hmm. like I just connect with movement a lot um during the beginning phase like when so we did like an hour plus of ceremony which i want to get into as well because i think that's so important um but we did like maybe closer to two hours of ceremony we did the tea and then my first like it first kind of looked like i was in the stars like that was like as visual as it as it got like i was just Mm -hmm. kind of in space like there was no body or self it was just like observing space which was really beautiful Very and cool. amazing mm-hmm. um and my whole purpose of going in was to like experience more joy like that was what i wanted i just that was your intention yeah okay. like it wasn't like a ton of trauma that i was working through i had done a lot with other platforms to do that and i felt like i did a pretty substantial job it was just to have my the floor of my joy raised up a little bit totally understand that right and i was just like i did, i wasn't depressed or anything like that i just i felt like i could be happier so that was my intention going in and then i remembered like that experience of just seeing space was just so beautiful and normally i'm terrified of space like i i don't want to be up like eric's wants to buy his ticket yesterday to go up there and i'm the opposite i want my feet on the ground but there was no fear it was just like a very beautiful um observation and then my body just like kind of started trembling and i remember like seeing flashes of some animals come in 
but I can't remember what because mm-hmm. it, it's all a kind of a haze. But my body just started really, really, really trembling and I just like let it go. I wasn't trying to fight it. And I guess to any woman that's given birth, it's very similar to like epidural shakes. Mm-hmm. And that's also a trauma response. So I know that something was being released and I just don't necessarily know exactly what that was or what maybe it was like several different things but I just let my like trusted the process and trusted my body and let it do that and then at the end of it it also wore off like super fast Roger was like there's no way you're done it was only a few hours like maybe two or three hours and I'm like I'm done and he's like there's no way like you did for and I'm very sensitive to everything like caffeine alcoholic I just need a little bit yeah and I was like it's already off And he's like there's no way like I'm telling you I'm good. It's all gone. And I would get up and like kind of start stretching and everything was like popping and cracking. And he was like, oh, that's really good. Those are also releases. So it wasn't like I had this experience where people were working on me or spirit guides or anything like that. It was just more physical. But I guess that's more in aligned with like my current state, like my baseline, if that makes sense. So yeah, I would attribute like those cracks, pops and shaking to like a a trauma like being released and healed so that's why i would say that and then i did end up ha- feeling like my baseline was elevated after that like i just was generally a more easy to please happier person for how long honestly up until i recently gave birth and then really? uh, now my hormones are okay. all crazy so that's just getting reestablished. but now i mean we're about five months post and i feel like i'm starting to become myself again because like that first few months on top of like being sleep deprived yeah. it's like you are your worst version of yourself. And then you're trying to show up for this little person that can be very hard. Um, and there's like nothing you can really do except for like try to rest and, and go with grace. You know what I mean? Right. But it's very hard. It's a lot. I mean, that's, that's you went through a lot of work. It's mm-hmm. physically a lot of work, mentally a lot of work, emotionally a lot of work. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, and then you go right into lack of sleep and right. this new presence that you, you are fully responsible for. So mm-hmm. it's, that's hard. It's understandable. Mm-hmm. It's a, it sounds like a beautiful introduction to psilocybin that you had or magic mushrooms mm-hmm. that uh, the, you said three grams, two and a half, three grams. Three, yeah. yeah. So that's, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a good place to start. Why not? Why mm-hmm. not start there? But everybody's different. And the fact that um, it wore off is what it did. And that's, mm-hmm. that's totally fine too. It doesn't mean your next experience would be the same. that short. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could, but, mm-hmm. but it might not. But it's a, uh, but it sounds like your body needed to release some things, and it did, mm-hmm. and it didn't need to show you visually anything mm-hmm. in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And three grams is also it's in that zone where you might not have a lot of visuals. It sometimes takes a a bigger dose. Mm-hmm. You like the ceremony component as well. You're talking about the uh, the spirituality person. Yes. Of it. So I guess to tie in my question from earlier, so I personally. I don't know how I feel about recreational use for psychedelics. Um, again, like I'm so new to the space. I don't know that my opinion really carries, carries a lot of weight. I just see a lot of people doing it incorrectly. So I guess that's where my idea is formulated is I just think there's not enough respect given to the process. So when it comes to ceremony, again, like I've only done one. I've seen a lot, you know, through docuseries and things like that. But I think... Um, when you're opening up yourself energetically like that, it's crucial to have someone there that holds like a positive light because I think when you're releasing anything, so releasing that trauma, for example, something else has to fill that that bucket. And if you don't have the right person there or the right environment, then you, you're just filling it 
with more bad or more density or more shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why like a shaman is really important. Or if you're doing something more clinical and you have someone there, because even at maps, they make it still very um, ceremonial. They, like they hand Absolutely. it to you with mm-hmm. like a little platter, like the, like these little things do matter because it makes you take it a little bit more seriously um, and not like you're just going to go p- eat these things and then go to a club like you're here to do work on yourself or like go on like a a mission if you will um so i think there's a a lot of value in that and then also like i said i went in with a ton of anxiety and i think that's probably a lot of people that are new to the space so having someone kind of bring you in with um like a prayer or a song Mm -hmm. or a chant and kind of explaining what you're about to experience i think can also lead to a better experience and one that's not so overwhelming because i've seen people have really bad trips too and i don't know if that's like there are no bad trips you get what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to get or they were doing it recreationally and then went to a house party and of course that's going to be overwhelming because now again like you are an open vessel and now you are just absorbing recklessly everyone's energy Energy. yeah and so you're you have multiple things you just covered here Mm -hmm. so certainly energetically Mm -hmm. um when you take a psychedelic you are truly feeling and absorbing in a way that you don't normally do in your in your day-to-day conscious life so when you surround so when they when they talk about a probability of a good experience it's set setting and source so your mindset going in the setting that are you around people that love you are you in a place that you're undisturbed are you in a place that's free from distraction and when those things aren't um, happening, yeah, it can, it can be very uh, uh, jarring because mm-hmm. you're just you're experiencing it. Everything can be louder. The colors can be different. It can be mixing smells and colors and sounds, and all of it starts running together. And it can mm-hmm. be a uh, it can be scary. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You also talked about how um, when you give yourself away to the medicine, you're very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you, it's you've you've planned. This is a planned psychotic break. You are allowed for this time to be <laughs> open to whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And if you're not surrounded by um by people that love you and people who are holding a safe container, it can be it can be it can be physically dangerous for mm-hmm. the for a person. So again, just as as you think about as your audience thinks about where do I want to if I want to take a psychedelic medicine, mm-hmm. yeah, picking that. That facilitator and that group that's going to be with you, super, super important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there and there have been certainly, um, like any uh, type of experience, there have been certainly instances where things have not gone the way that you or I might have scripted it for somebody. Mm-hmm. But when you do find that right facilitator, have the right space, um, have the intention, know what you're getting into. So you're you, okay. You're this should be about six hours, and it's going to take this and. Um, yeah, you really reduce the the, the challenging experience um, portion. Now that doesn't mean it might not be challenging emotionally, or that you might be shown something that's mm-hmm. that you don't want to see, or that you are not looking forward to seeing. Mm-hmm. But um, but when you can, rem- the other thing I guess the medicine does is it removes shame, blame, and guilt during that period that you're on the medicine. Mm-hmm. So it really does allow you to look at some things that are uh, again hard to do when you're not with the help of that medicine. Mm-hmm. There's so many places I want to go. Um, one, I think it's important, and maybe there's not an answer to this, but how do you find a an ethical facilitator or shaman? Because even some of the places that are down in South America are kind of getting busted right now for like exploitation, where the shaman kind of crossed some boundaries. Um, and I, I don't know if some of them are like obviously tourist traps, and you should kind of like look at the writing on the walls, but how do you differentiate between someone who's like 
a positive but at the same time like neutral safe space versus someone that may be coming in with their own ego or agenda and um even greed with this because you know there's a lot of money to be had in the space it's so hard and it's it's Again, I th- these are things I did not think about five years ago, but mm-hmm. it's so frustrating that we can't have a reasonable discussion on drug policy in this country, and therefore we can't have an open market where there are very public ratings and very public scores and very public discussions about mm-hmm. either, reg- either the person or the or the drug itself. It's um, it's super frustrating. So what you so your options in America are you can do something legal like ketamine, mm-hmm. and then you can pick a ketamine practice, and we can. Um, that has ratings and, and reputation. Um, you can do something legal in other countries, and you can fly down to Central or South America. You can go to the Netherlands, Bahamas, Jamaica, um, and do something that way, or you can go underground. It, I'd like to say it's radically different choosing a legal ketamine experience than it is choosing a um, an underground psilocybin, but it's not. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'll give just one example. Legal ketamine is controlled by a couple of different groups. So you have the anesthesiologists who say, we're the only ones really trained and who work in, in ketamine all the time, and we're the ones who should control this. And then you have the psychiatrists who are like, well, we're the ones who are both into mental health and prescription, and we're doctors, and we should control this. And then you have the therapists who are like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is actually therapy, and this is our area of expertise, and, and it's not that hard to, to prescribe this. Um, and then you have... The un- unlicensed guides who are saying, well, wait a minute, we've been practicing with psychedelic medicine for a long time. We have the most experience guiding people in these, these uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness. We really should be the ones that control this. They all have things that are right. In my opinion, though, if you go to, to a traditional ketamine clinic run by an anesthesiologist where they hook you up to an IV and they come back an hour later and send you home, that research shows that that is not as successful as if you combine it with any type of therapy, licensed or unlicensed. Mm. And um, but you don't know that if you don't know to ask. Mm-hmm. So so what do you do? You have to ask. You have to ask those kinds of questions. Are you going to give me any type of preparation and integration support? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the experience itself going to be like? You were talking about ritual before. Mm-hmm. What are their philosophies on ritual? And whether you you believe in any. God specifically doesn't matter, but having mm-hmm. a ceremony wrapped around this leads to better outcomes is what the research says. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for those choosing underground or choosing Central or South America, again, the same, just ask the questions. How many people are going to be in my ceremony with me? There's a very um, well-known facility in Costa Rica that has 80 to 100 people at a time doing wow. ayahuasca. That seems kind of dangerous. How do you keep an eye on everyone? It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um there's another. There's a number of them that are forty. Again, seems like a lot, but I can see that. And then most of the ones I participated in are fifteen to twenty, which seems to be a sweet spot. Um, yeah, that seems a lot more reasonable. A lot more reasonable. Mm-hmm. But asking those questions, don't be afraid to ask the questions. What is mm-hmm. the experience of the guide? What do you have um, on staff in terms, uh, in case anything does go awry? Um, what is your what is the ceremonial components? What are the ceremonial components? What do you have for preparation? What do you have for integration? Ask all those questions, and if you don't like the answers, go find someplace else. Mm-hmm. No, that's good advice. Definitely don't just pick someplace and hope for the best. Do a little bit of effort before you do something that's so vulnerable. Yeah, I was lucky. I mean, I was lucky that my friends had done some research mm-hmm. <clears throat> and invited me in. But mm-hmm. in retrospect, I should have been asking all of those questions, and I didn't. I mm-hmm. just went with the flow, which which so much of us do at different points in our life. And mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of it served you. It, it served like, me. It worked out. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was one of those life nudges that got me to the right place. But uh, yeah, I certainly could have had a different 
different twist to it. So what's your opinion on those um, those ketamine centers that you now, not centers, they're on your app. So mm-hmm. like they just deliver it to you pretty much like you do a 10 minute phone call and then you get ketamine to your door. So technically it's legal, but that's where I get a little bit apprehensive of like the vast just like legalization of everything because I don't know that out of context that's going to be more helpful than hurtful. So again, full disclosure, I have a, um, I have launching a telehealth company in Florida that mm-hmm. will connect people to ketamine. So I am clearly biased on this, but let me, let me, I'll tell you how I think about this. Okay. Um, I don't love the idea of people just hopping online, going to a prescriber and five minutes later, they've been prescribed ketamine. It's on the way to them. I think that is, uh, I think it's a bit reckless. Okay. Um, it's a very powerful medicine. Um, it's a short, it's only about an hour versus psilocybin, which we're talking about six, mm-hmm. um, six to eight. Um, but it's super powerful. It can mm-hmm. take you very deep. It's also one of the only medicines that has any addiction uh, or addictive profile. In animal tests, the animals sometimes will pick ketamine over food. They won't do oh, that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's one of the few. Um, okay. They won't do that with psilocybin or LSD, mm-hmm. but yes, with ketamine. So um, recreationally, there are people who get addicted to ketamine. Um, nobody's jonesing for their next mushroom fix. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> but medicinally or in clinical use, you don't really have that issue with ketamine. So if you're listening to this, like, oh, I want to try it, then you're at a party and someone says, oh, well, here's ketamine. That's that's not the right place to 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 go with the ketamine. Um, with, uh, I think the companies that are doing it better than others. So I think telehealth is is super important because it brings down the cost. All of us in telehealth land are about twelve hundred dollars for six sessions. If you go to a ketamine clinic, you're forty five hundred to six thousand dollars for six Whoa. sessions. It's that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. But there has to be compromise. So. What are the changes? So one thing is when you in, when you do your intake, whoever you go with, they should do a full medical intake. They should do a depression screen. They should do an anxiety screen. You should have a a video call that's that's significant with a medical prescriber, whatever's licensed in your state, where they go over the answers to your questions. They talk to you about depression, anxiety. They talk about what your intention is, and then they decide whether you're a good fit for ketamine or not. Um, the ones that I think do it best send you one dose to start, mm-hmm. maybe two to see how you react and they start you low mm-hmm. and uh, and then see again because people react wildly different to ketamine right. so start you low and then I think the ones that do it best have some type of guide program where they're going to assign you somebody who's going to help prepare you let's talk about your intentions let's make sure you write this down what are you trying to get out of this they don't need to give their opinion they just need to help draw it out of you they're going to help make sure you are crystal clear. You're going to what you're going to do during the session. This is how long it's going to be, and then they're going to meet you on the other side of at least the first couple sessions. What came up? Again, they don't have. It's not therapy where they have to give you. Well, did you think about this or what about your father? And, <laughs> no, just what came up? How did it make you feel? Where did you feel it in your body? How did you react? Did you have a release? What does it make you think about? How does it? What did it feel like to have the weight of the world lifted off your shoulder? What did you think you were carrying when you had that experience? And how mm. are you going to now um, take that learning into your life? So mm-hmm. I, I guess in psychedelics as a whole, I'd like to think of them not as a cure. It's a catalyst. It's just a glimpse of insight that then you can move on. And But you have to do that work yourself. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. So again, it's just kind of having your eyes open when you're picking the provider and not just going with it. So hopefully 
you know, it's a little bit more responsibly done. Yeah, and, and you can you can be picky. They're all mm-hmm. about the same price, so mm-hmm. it's really what are you looking for? And if all of the, if you're if you're listening to something like this and you're reading the books, it's like I really want to have a as close to us. I want to have a psychedelic experience, but I'm not willing to do something illegal. So I want to do ketamine. Mm-hmm. Well, th- what are the things in those psychedelic experiences that were attractive to you? And find a provider that offers the that type of wrapper around the ketamine, mm-hmm. and they're out there. Mm-hmm. No, that's really good advice. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in the podcast having an ego death with your first experience. Um, I would love to hear about that. And then also, if you're willing to share, because it goes into everyone has an opinion. So it's like, how much of your journey do you share? Because going into it with expectation is not a good idea. Um, and that's something that I was really trying not to do because Eric had shared his, you know, to like every detail and I was like that sounds amazing <laughs> I want to do that and then when mine wasn't nearly as visual or magical I was like uh, damn it but that was probably because I had that expectation going in so it's like do you share your experience or um, are you like just conscientious of when you share it or how you share it and then when it comes to ego death there's some people that I think that actually does like way more harm than good because they have do you know who Jamie Wheel is of course He talks about the super ego Mm -hmm. and how he sees that a lot on the West Coast. So these people have this quote unquote ego death. And now all of a sudden it's actually a super ego. And they're like, I am Ram Dass. And let me give you the answers to everything. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, that that's not what you were supposed to come out thinking, feeling or doing. So maybe you need to go back in there. So um, what's the difference between like a, a positive ego death and one that actually leads to super ego? Okay. You've asked a bunch of questions in that paragraph. Okay. Let's, let's take, let's back it up and say, uh, first of my feelings on sharing in general. Mm-hmm. So I love, if someone's asking the questions, I'm happy to answer. And, and depending on what the conversation's about to share, whatever experience makes sense to share. Um, I do it to normalize the, I, I want to normalize conversations about mental health. Mm-hmm. So just, we talk about kids breaking their legs or getting hurt. Why can't we talk about people being depressed or anxious or having a, 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 a substance use disorder? Why there shouldn't be any more shame in that discussion than mm-hmm. in the broken leg. So I want to normalize that. And I want to normalize a discussion on medicine and say, or psychedelic medicine specifically and say, look, I'm, I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a father and I'm a taxpayer and I do a lot of drugs and <laughs> that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I want to talk about it for so that other people are like, oh, well, if he he's not what I pictured a, a mm. drug user to look like. And okay, maybe maybe I am going to consider this. Um, I also share, I try to combine what I've learned and what I'm learning in real time with what I'm sharing. So like there are 309 academic institutions studying psychedelics right now. A lot of people don't know that. Mm. Absolutely. And the research is so powerful. So I try to be that bridge. I'm not a PhD. I'm not a doctor, but I can. I think I can present things in a way that people can um, can hear who are not scientists mm-hmm. or not don't have a science background. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So I'm ha- and so then when it comes to uh, so then it becomes about. How, I think I also try to caution people about what you said. You don't want to have too much of an expectation going in. The mm-hmm. medicine's going to take you. All we're going to do is help prepare you for whatever that experience is. Maybe you have visuals. Maybe you have some somatic experience. Maybe you have um, just old deep relaxation. Maybe it doesn't affect you. All that's possible. Mm-hmm. So let's be prepared for anything and everything mm-hmm. and then see where it goes. And no matter where it goes, you didn't do anything wrong. That was your experience. And, and it doesn't mean it's going to be like that every time. That was your experience on that day and that was beautiful just as it is. Mm. Um, and then I think that 
So now we're going to go backwards to psychedelic uh, narcissism, which is what you're talking about. Like, like I'm, I know everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting. So I, so I work with these different um, integrators, coaches, people, and they talk about, one thing we talk about is we try, it's, it's a fine line between not giving unsolicited advice and then sharing this information mm-hmm. and, and finding that balance. So I think that's something that um, those working in the space, we need to, it's a constant, it's a constant, um, something we should be aware of and we are aware of. Um, with psychedelic medicine, you feel so much love towards yourself. Um, I know for me, when I first had that very first experience, one moment I'm like, oh my God, I feel so safe and so loved. And like a fraction of a second later, I was like, oh my God, I don't normally feel loved and safe. Mm. What the hell's going on? And then it was like, and then another second later, it's like, oh my God, I can't remember the last time I felt this loved and safe. That was a big eye opener. For some people, um, they can, you can, you can take that and be like, and now I am therefore I know everything and I'm I am I have achieved a godlike status and and um which then brings us full circle to when you're looking to participate and to work with somebody, looking for those signs. Does this person feel like they mm. they are they are a deity, that they have all the answers, that they know, or are they are they learning, healing and growing just like all of us? And if they are humble, in my opinion, humble, I'm here to learn, heal, and grow with my experience. Um, I'm going to share this experience with you if you would like it. Yeah, I think that's a safer place to step into. So just being aware those people exist out there, though, I think is really good advice that you're bringing up indirectly. Uh, I feel like I had another, well, there was another question in my long paragraph. <laughs> Let mm. me see here. Ego, oh, ego death. Yeah, ego um, death. Again, that same experience. So, so the the first part of it was so my mom died when she was forty nine, so I was twenty two, and um, and I learned I still haven't felt that was the saddest I've ever been. Mm. I think I found my low end of my emotional register. Um, and I talked about my book about how like I wailed. I didn't even know what that word wail meant until yeah, until that day at the cemetery. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was really really it was really hard. Um, and then on this experience, she was there, and I could feel her in a way that I hadn't in what would have been twenty five years, and um, and I was like, oh wait a minute, she's here, and I'm taking her energy and moving it forward, and that's kind of my that's like talking about the energy side. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the feminine energy that I'm going to embody as part of me, and I'm going to move her forward, and that's okay. And then I could actually feel my kids. I'm like, oh, I get it. And I'm moving this forward, and now they're moving it forward. And even though it's we're three different entities or four different entities, it's all connected. And I could see that. Um, the ego death side was when I really thought I wasn't coming back. I was like, oh, uh-oh, I've now crossed over, and I didn't get to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And that was really sad for us. I was like, oh, I can't believe I just left them, and I'm not going to come back. Um, but it was also my first glimpse and with some other molecules later, I got more of this, but my first glimpse of, okay, this is what a heaven could be like. I can conceive of a place where us in energetic form live, um, or be maybe is a better word. And there is space for everybody and it is beautiful and it is loving. Um, 
and then not too long after that, I was able to come back. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> well, we're glad you're back. Thank you. It's good to be sure here. Your family is <laughs> yeah. too. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a very beautiful and like healing experience. This goes back to having the importance of having a facilitator because I think sometimes when I've heard people describe an ego death, because I I have it myself. Um, not yet. Not yet is that they feel like once they've killed it, that that's like a permanent fix. And there's this guy that um, I just like adore. He founded BioCybernaut, so Dr. Hart. And he's like, as, so, as long as you're living in a human body, there is always ego. Like there is no killing it. So he really um, detests that. He doesn't like phrase. saying. Right, he doesn't. Okay. Even, yeah, because yeah. he's like there is no there is no killing it. And for some people, they when they're in that psychedelic space, they think that because it happened once, like when they come to mm. that now they are, have transcended um, their ego, like that it is no longer like that. You know, maybe like that shadow that is always with us. Um, so I, th- I think that's why if you have like a, an ethical person holding the space and the ritual and having like the integration piece they would hopefully check you a little bit you would hope a lot a lot of it yeah this and and they talk about post psychedelic experience don't make any big decisions for a couple weeks Mm. and yeah and you need there there is an integration a process to come back to land back on on in this 3d world in which we live Mm -hmm. and uh and recognizing that no you didn't your ego did not die forever you still have an inner narrator you still have that those inner pieces there's still gonna be things that are gonna trigger you they're still Mm -hmm. gonna it's a practice um, you've had a glimpse now of what it can what it can feel like to just radiate love and radiate joy, but it's a practice. There's mm-hmm. n- it is not something that is you can do all the time, mm-hmm. um, or most people cannot do all the time. I'm sure there are some enlightened people who have who have hit that, but that is not most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when it comes to the different types of psychedelics. We uh, just recently watched that How to Change Your Mind docuseries. series on it's, Netflix, the yeah. four, four parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's amazing. So anyone who's curious, I highly recommend mm-hmm. that series because you'll kind of like get the best introduction to a lot of different psychedelics. I recommend that for couples too. So there's... <clears throat> psychedelics for couples well, or the yeah, show? Yeah, both, all the above. Yes, there, there's, um, yes, there's great couple practices with uh, MDMA or MDA, either one, mm-hmm. with uh, with couples and that there are couples who, when the relationship is healthy, choose to Im- start a practice where they're going to have a, a maybe once a quarter, twice a year, um, psychedelic experience together. Um, but, but I recommend watching that show as a couple, especially if one is leaning more towards psychedelics than the other, because it is it is a way to combat that programming the other that the partner has had mm-hmm. without the other cup partner having to be the one to do all the lecturing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's so informative. Okay, here's a 60-some-year-old journalist who's going to just show you what, what this is like and talk about the research in a way that's it's non-threatening. And sometimes if you've been together with a, with someone for a very long time, it's like they could tell you something and you're like, like <laughs> no, absolutely not. Especially if it's something as new and kind of um, like taboo as a psychedelic. But then you do need an outside perspective that's not going to like trigger you. And you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. You're trustworthy. And then your partner's there. Like, I just I said just the said same that. thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, if you were to be just getting started, are there ones that you think are more gentle or do they serve different purposes? Like, if, like you mentioned, couples with MDA or MDMA, um, 
like if I have OCD or anxiety, is there one that you recommend? Or if I'm trying to go through fix like childhood trauma, is there one, I guess, are there different levels and strengths or do they hit different parts of you? How does that all work? Yes, yes, and yes. All, yes, the, yes, all yes. the above. So um, I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm curious to start and mm-hmm. I'm not sure where, mm-hmm. I think I'd ask you back, like, well, what's, what's drawing you? What's speaking to you? What are you resonating with? And maybe there's something just in that energy exchange right there that's something worth paying attention to. Um, certainly if you're saying, okay, I want to open my heart. I'm looking for a heart opener because I want to feel more love towards myself. I want to feel more love towards my partner. MDMA or MDA uh, or sassafras, same thing, is, is a beautiful place to start for that. It is a, um, you can't help but feel love. Um, quick note on that with uh, people with post-traumatic stress disorder or treatment-resistant PTSD where the existing talk therapies and, uh, and uh, pharmacological solutions don't work. Phase three clinical trial, um, after three sessions with MDMA, 67% no longer qualifies having PTSD. So super cool, super, uh, wow. really, really powerful medicine. Wow. Really powerful medicine. Um, mushrooms seem to be a place that a lot of people choose to start. Mm-hmm. It's very grounding. You talked about having your feet on the ground earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel very connected. You look at, at least in my experience, you can look at nature and see it differently and closer than maybe you have previously. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was the first time that like this idea that we're all brothers and sisters, like, oh, wait a minute, we are all brothers and sisters and ta- and feeling it differently than the intellectual exercise or than just the reciting the trite, uh, thing you heard growing up. Um, so I think psilocybin is gentle in a place that a lot of people start. Um, some people are drawn towards ayahuasca. They want the, they want for whatever reason to go to the jungle. They want that, uh, that energy that comes with ayahuasca and, mm-hmm. and um, it is not as gentle. It, there's mm-hmm. a, phys- a physical purging. Uh, you typically throw up um, at least once during the, the ceremony, mm-hmm. but that's not as bad as it sounds. Sounds uh, terrible. I thought so sounds too. Sounds terrible. You know, it's funny. The first time it, um, I was doing ayahuasca, this, uh, the, uh, the shaman's wife said, so you're, you're really scared about the throwing up. I was like, I hate throwing up. Same. And uh, I was like, I really hate throwing up. She said, it's going to be the most beautiful part of the ceremony for you. Oh, and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> that actually makes me more nervous. Like it, that's the highlight. Well, it's one of them in a very different way. So mm-hmm. it's um when you purge, or at least for me, when I purge in ayahuasca, it is you are releasing something out of your body and you immediately you can look into the bucket, as gross as that sounds, and you can see what you released and go, oh my God, I didn't know I was carrying that. Um, It's, mm. it sounds wild. So I, I'd say one, I mean, just one that I can remember is uh, I purged, that I had a, um, I looked down upon people who said they spoke in tongues. And it, I'm looking in the bucket, I'm like, oh, I can see that. I, clearly, I do. I, I, just, I think that's, I thought that was nonsense. Um, but meanwhile, I had had like an hour discussion with an alien just a minute ago. <laughs> it felt very real to me. <laughs> Here I am looking in the bucket, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't judge people like that. Mm. Maybe that's a that's another form of just yet one more way that I I, I judge people. So I was like, okay, that that was a good learning. Mm-hmm. But now there's some beautiful parts in ayahuasca. The the, uh, the DMT component of ayahuasca is so visual and so beautiful. And uh, um, yeah, you can all sorts of galactic. So if as as grounding as psilocybin is, ayahuasca can be galactic and mm. can give you just a whole different perspective and um on uh on the world and 
thinking in terms of millions of years versus lifetimes and mm -hmm. just so yeah much farther out perspective um if i had a child who is having or having a heroin addiction or if i had someone i love struggling with an opioid challenge um ibogaine is the solution it's it's in doing incredible work um mm -hmm. there's a dr gabor mate up in canada who is really work doing incredible things his son's coming on the podcast no way. in February. yeah oh that's so cool mm -hmm. all right so uh, also on trauma um yeah and, yes. yeah he helped write that uh, myth of normal textbook that i gotta digest before he gets here yeah he's, he's mm -hmm. such um such good work the wisdom of trauma is his last uh the documentary he just had come out which is beautiful um, i haven't seen that one yet totally worth watching mm -hmm. and then he has a i think if you pay on his website for that there's all these like i don't know 30 hours of additional content around trauma wow That's super fascinating mm -hmm. um and uh and then the work with ibogaine is just i mean there's there's very few things that if you have someone who's trying to get off of an opioid that work like ibogaine again disclaimer it is it is a serious medicine you need in that particular psychedelic you want to have cardiac uh, monitors you want to be in in with medical um uh help nearby it is something you can you can die doing so it's oh, it is okay. not like these other medicines but it is if i had someone who i loved and the everything else was not working a thousand percent i would get them to a legal um, a, legal I, clinic. A, a legal clinic or gray clinic as they are in canada mm. um is yeah. it ayahuasca can't you stop breathing on ayahuasca um i don't i don't know the answer to that i have not heard that i know there's respiratory things even with, and i think there are respiratory issues with with a few of them but mm -hmm. again in the scale of probability mm -hmm. these medicines are safer than a lot of medicines that are illegal. So you can get, mm -hmm. you can overdose on Tylenol. For you can sure. overdose on, certainly overdose on alcohol happens daily. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't overdose on psilocybin. You can't overdose on LSD. Um, mm -hmm. And again, you don't get, you get hooked. So yes, all these medicines should be approached with reverence and with, uh, with respect for it. These are medicines mm -hmm. and these are a lot safer than things that we've been taught are safer. Mm -hmm. It's just not true. Um, the trauma side in psychedelics is cool. I'm really excited for you to be able to explore that with him. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about how, uh, or they talk about, not we, talk about how trauma manifests in our behaviors later in life. And we have as a society, it's um, we're so quick to judge um, drug users. Oh, they're addicted. They're drug users. They're addicted. They're, they're, they're no good. But we don't have the same um, judgment to people who are addicted to work or addicted to sex or addicted to gambling. For whatever reason, we are very judgmental on what we're and how we judge that, um, or we look at people who are um, obese uh, and say, "Oh, well, that's they just don't know how to take care of themselves." But we don't have any um, empathy or sympathy for potentially what the trauma was that led to the behavior that led to where that person ended up. What that person ended up manifesting. I think there's a fine line. So I think when it comes to the judgment on drug users and probably even alcoholics, because I feel like they're probably pretty similar at a grand scale. Like they are kind of um, like they're looked at at maybe like the deplorables, essentially like wasted space. I think that comes from like an evolutionary need to be clean and hmm. protect our space. Because if you see needles while you're walking your kid to school it, you are 
it's going to be very hard for a normal person to have sympathy or empathy for that person when my priority is my child. Now, you can say that you can maybe get to a space where, like, you know, mate, you love everyone the same. I don't know anyone that's there. Like, you know, I love my child just as much as I love my neighbor. Like, mm-hmm. that is like a different level of consciousness. Sure, sure. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very rare. And I certainly don't possess that. So, when my priority is my family and now your decisions are impeding on my freedom and my right to like safety and cleanliness. Um, I think like that's maybe where it comes in. Like it's a little bit harsher because like that bleed over is more obvious. Whereas if you have a gambling addiction or a compulsion issue and you're having sex every 10 minutes with a different woman, that doesn't really affect me. So I think maybe that's part of it. I also think, when it comes to psychedelics and like, the whole spirituality space, we get into judgment a lot. And judgment is like, we want to rid ourselves of that. And I think a lot of our judgments are probably, you know, more about ourselves. Like everything's a mirror and I'm really scared sure. that I'm going to become that thing that I'm um, that judging. I'm, that I'm judging. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think it can be a useful tool, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see someone and you get, an intuition or an inkling or a judgment about them, like about their character, whether or not that good, bad person. And you can get into like duality. Some people are like, there is no duality and we can go off onto that. But I think (laughs) right here in this human experience, there are good and bad people. So I think you don't want to completely cast that aside because you can find yourself in a dangerous situation. If you're trying to be more enlightened than is probably useful in this space does that make sense like if you're i can feel i feel like you can go too woo you can go too woo and then like you are so disconnected from the human experience so i think that like our human faculties are here for a reason and it's important that they don't they're not steering the wheel that you're aware of them like just like anger or eating for example like eating is a pleasurable experience and some people have that compulsion issue so then they overeat and sure that might be linked to trauma but there's this good adage might um what's his name um mark andreessen says and he's like there's no orphans after 21 so it's essentially Yes, those traumas could be very real, and that's so unfortunate that that's part of your story, but you do have a responsibility to yourself and to society and your family and, and, you know, scale it out to fix and heal that. So I think there's a lot of power that can come in healing those traumas and maybe becoming aware of things that you didn't even know were there, but I also think it's equally, if not more important, to not spend too much time in your rearview mirror and like spend more time on like how do I improve as a person and what's my future self look like and put the energy there, and I think you can have a very similar effect, but I see often as people blaming and shaming and self-loathing in the space where there's no accountability because they're like, well, I was beaten as a kid or my dad was an alcoholic or I had a borderline mom, whatever that story is. Like, yes, that's very real. Um, and you are entitled to how you feel about that. Like your pain is very real. I'm not trying to diminish that, but also you're doing yourself such a disservice by like living there and blaming there. So like, let's say your dad was abusive right and that was the case for me like I had I grew up with um like a lot of abuse and like in our household and like mom's boyfriends and things like that and I also have siblings and I can tell you our perspectives have absolutely shaped our realities so 
my perspective as an adult was I chose to stop blaming. I chose to forgive. I chose to love. And it's not to say any of those behaviors were okay or tolerable, but by holding on to that anger, I'm actually doing myself a disservice. So it's that, um, there's a real, uh, what's his name? There's an author, but he says like anger is like an acid and it does more damage to the vessel than what you pour it onto. So you're really doing more damage to yourself than to anyone else. So you owe yourself that forgiveness of that other person. Some of my siblings don't see it that way and there's still a lot of anger towards that and now their reality has shifted to that that is not as beautiful in my opinion. Um, So I do think that you have to you have to like face that accountability factor and like move forward and not do so much of like the, I had a really rough childhood. So that's why I'm 400 pounds. It's like, okay, that might be true or that might have been true. But what's true now is like you're a functioning adult that you now need to like use the tools that are at your disposal, at your disposal to try to elevate to the next level and heal that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally hear what you're saying with this. Um, And I think a lot of what you said is, is beautiful makes 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 sense um when we think about we think about living and responsibility for life Mm -hmm. the only one we're responsible for is ourselves Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of challenges people have is because they feel responsible or they feel like they owe something to their family i need to be this or do this because so and so wants me to do that Mm -hmm. and that's a dangerous uh path to go down um it is and uh, what, you, what you talked about with the uh, with the trauma, I mean, the, the, the one story I write about in the book is uh, is I had some inappropriate um, sexual contact with a with a family member ten years older than me as a young teen, and for years I couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, it was like one of those things when someone would bring something up, my ears would get red, and I'd have like this little pit in my stomach. I'd be like, "Oh, shut the fuck up!" Like yeah. I can't talk about this. Yeah, and. Um, in one of these psychedelic experiences, I found myself right back in that last situation I was in. And I was like, I don't want to be here. This is not what I asked for. It's not my intention. This is not what I, I'm not working on. This This is in a drawer. I don't talk about this drawer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and a lot of what you said really resonated. So I was able to, because of the medicine, removing shame, blame, and guilt, I was able to look at this situation and not forgive or con- not ex- condone, but look at me like, okay, this person was was deeply unloved or felt deeply unloved. She had her own substance use challenges. She was rejected from her father. She was not as uh, smart as her brother. She's having all sorts of issues, and she just wanted to be loved. And I could, again, not condoning, but not look at her as a perpetrator at that moment, but as a human who was suffering, mm-hmm. um, who just made a bad decision or bad decisions. Um, and from that moment, now I can talk about it, and not feel like oh, I'm mortified that I did something wrong, and that I'm I'm a bad person for having this experience. And, and I think somehow, in this, and weirdly, I'm able now to talk about this, and maybe talk to other people who had experiences that were like that, or much more challenging, mm-hmm. um, and have some some ability to relate to what they're talking about. Um, we all have this this opportunity. We have this we have this physical space that we occupy. And um, it's all an opportunity. And suffering, well, the person I work with is, again, talking about these, uh, these integrators. This person I work with always reminds me, suffering is optional. 
So we're going to have the same breath. And we can, how do we think about this breath? How do we think about this next moment? Mm-hmm. And we can choose to suffer mm-hmm. or we can choose not to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, that all being said, it's really hard, Candace. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and part of what I talk about these medicines, there's a lot of different ways you can come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But for some people, having this type of medicine just helps them because we get into repetitive thought. We get into this is the way I think, this is the way it is, this sky is gray, this is this, this is this, and it's over and it's over and it's over. It's that narrator. Mm-hmm. And um, some of these medicines can disrupt that pattern. Mm-hmm. And remind us of how we were when all of our neurons were firing when we were tiny, tiny. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, I don't have to think this way. I can see a different path. Um, and now let me try that for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Or let me try that for the rest of today. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful. I mean, that's kind of one of the best things about this medicine is that chance to get that, that reset button turn off the programming for six hours, remind yourself of who you are, and then see what you want to do next. Mm. So people that don't have any effect, and let's say they do a substantial dose, let's mm-hmm. say it's like five, and they're a very small person, um, maybe size doesn't matter, but like let's say it's a big, a big dose for your person, and there's no effect whatsoever. Have you encountered that? And is there like a general observation as to why that happens and how to maybe have a more successful journey the next time yeah i mean so certainly not having an effect today doesn't mean tomorrow the exact same amount of medicine you're not going to have an effect Mm -hmm. but there are things that you can do to help have more of an effect so things like they talk about giving yourself into the medicine Mm -hmm. you're going to surrender to the medicine well for someone like me who's i'm such a like i i've been such a control like i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and then this is going to happen and it's hard to release control Mm -hmm. so having kind of breathing techniques having a ceremony where it's going to be okay we're going to let's get into this space let's be present here let's Mm -hmm. breathe into here let's be mindful of this moment let's remind me why we're here then let's take this as a sacrament and let's continue to breathe continue to relax and trying to get in that level of relaxation before and in the beginning stages lead to an hour later as the medicine comes on I think a, a deeper experience. Um, I think music choices can also go a long way. I love at a at retreat or ceremony having live musicians. I think there's an energy mm-hmm. that um, that comes out of that. You can you can sometimes feel the energy of a guitar string or feel the resonant of the uh, of the drum or even sometimes you can like get into somebody's like you almost can climb into their mouth and feel their vocal cords um, shaking and it's it's just kind of incredible with music so for me music get is something that helps a lot and uh and then i think just yeah over and over relax it's going to be okay breathe surrender surrender um but that's also why you can't be talked into or you shouldn't be talked into doing psychedelics this has to be a personal choice i want to do this because i want to do this mm-hmm. i'm here to surrender and uh with that and that instruction you can you can be taken pretty far Mm-hmm. So when it comes to trying to influence someone to try these medicines, how far would you say is influence versus, because I do agree, it's kind of like free college, in my opinion. If you <laughs> if you give someone free 
education up to a PhD, like they're not going to really take it as seriously. There's not that financial risk that it's associated. So I do think um, you do have to have skin in the game for all things that are truly important. Um, so if you're like, hey, I know this facilitator and hey, there's this docu-series. And like, at what point is it you're kind of doing too much of um, like you're influencing too much for like, I'll book your appointment. I'll drive you there. Like, I do agree that they do have to want it and make that choice for themselves. So how much influence is appropriate for someone to the space? It's That's really a challenging question because and it's almost the difference between marketing and attraction. I'm promoting <laughs> or I'm attracting. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd like to think that I'm doing is I'm attracting people who want to hear whatever it is I'm, I'm saying for whatever reason that they want to hear it. And then they're deciding whether they trust me and they're deciding, well, where's he going? What's that going to be like? And and I completely agree. I, I, instead of the term skin in the game, I might use energy exchange, that if you don't put some energy in, mm-hmm. including financial, then it are you as committed as you say you are? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to be equal dollars. Some people can, it takes a lot more energy mm-hmm. to have the same impact as mm-hmm. other people. Um but I, I don't know, I don't, I'm feeling into that, Candace. I'm trying to figure out where do I draw that line between mm-hmm. I'm over-promoting mm-hmm. versus I'm just trying to give you the information. You're looking for the information. Anyhow, I'm just one of a number of sources that you're hopefully looking at. And I'm going to tell you my perspective. And um, and if I can be of assistance, I'm happy to be of assistance. And um, and if you don't need my assistance, that's that's perfectly fine too. No bad anybody. See, there's certain um, there's certain religions where if you're trying to like become like a, a fellow, mm-hmm. they turn you down X amount of times. So you can go there and you are so passionate and you're like, I really want to become X, Y, or Z. And they're like, no, go away. No, go away. And they do that to really test like how steadfast you are in, in this um, belief. And I feel like it's probably the same. So I have some people in my life that I have either tried to kind of nudge into this space or into just like brain training with um, bio cyber not because mm-hmm. I think you can get to very similar spaces. I think it's probably a lot easier if you're doing psychedelics than the way that I did it about bio cyber not because I don't really meditate either. So it was very challenging for me. Um, and it also had its pain points. So I, I'll give two options and I found myself kind of getting into like maybe a point where I was pestering. So now I'm backing off a lot and I'm like, well, I've told you how much these things have um, positively affected my life. Now, if you want to have a similar change, like I'll wait for you to come to me and then I'll give you the resources that I have. But instead of like, here's their phone number, here's their website, like I want people to now like ask. So if you don't ask, I'm not going to do it because I find that people will um, either in the moment be really curious or maybe they're trying to appease me or whatever the motivation is, but it's not really authentic and there's no real motivation there. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be useless. So um, for bio Cybernot, for example, there was a time where I was thinking about paying for a family member to go and it's very, very, very expensive. But I was like, I know this will fix you. Once we did it, they were like, well, we've had that happen and people just don't show up. Like they'll send a car and they're like, I'm not doing this. And it's not their money. They didn't go through with like the clicking of booking of the appointment. So there is something really important in that um, to facilitate the change, I think. So you're, you're making, you're resonating with me when I found myself in a similar situation, a lot of times it's because I'm attached to the outcome. And as soon as I become aware of that, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, this isn't my place to be attached. Mm-hmm. Um, the other times are when it's scared of the alternative. 
like, oh, if this person doesn't do this, something bad's going to happen to them, to us, to whatever. And that's that's a false narrative that I find myself sometimes caught in that loop. That word fix jumped out of me, and then I know that when I'm thinking I can fix somebody, something's off for me, that everybody's perfect, perfectly imperfect, that they have, uh, that there are things I believe that can help, but fix, I, I try not personally just to use that. And I know when, I'm sorry, but I, I try, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. There are definitely times when I feel, mm-hmm. oh, if they just did this, it would fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, uh, again, try not to be too woo-woo. So it's like, we're all gonna, in the woo-woo world, I believe we're all, healing's coming. We're mm-hmm. all going to be healed at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, we can choose to do it parts of it now or we can do it later mm-hmm. but um the yeah i think i think it's i think the attachment and scarcity for me are the two times when uh, i get myself in trouble and uh and i feel myself going over the line okay it's okay wait a minute they don't they don't need to do this um or sorry they don't this isn't this this is me dr- trying to draw them in versus them seeking this mm-hmm. and that's different mm-hmm Scarcity is mine too. I think that's my biggest hindrance. Yeah. And it's something, oh my gosh. It's, I've talked at this ad nauseum with Eric because like there's still a lot there. And I mean, I've done a lot of work and it's, it just doesn't seem to make a substantial dent. Like I've definitely noticed the floors moving on it. So what used to be, um, like a crippling scarcity mindset now it's like kind of more in the shadows do you know what i mean like it's not obvious and with that my life has changed and like the abundance in my life has changed so i see as i get rid of that i say get rid of that as i make a dent in that my ceiling also raises and then i start to attract more opportunities things start to become more successful i'm happier and there's just more peace in general as i start to work on that but i think for me Growing up, we moved around a ton and there wasn't a lot of stability. There wasn't stability in my environment, in my caregivers, um, in how people showed up emotionally or psychologically for you. Like there was no predictability and that can be very overwhelming for a kid and it's chaotic. So one of the promises I made to myself at a very young age is like, I will always be financially responsible for myself. I will never rely on a man. I will never rely on anything. Like I am going to be my own provider because to me, that financial security was stability. Mm-hmm. And then that was safety. And then that meant I was going to of course be happy and all of my dreams are going to come true because that's what you think. So um, I had like a, and still probably have um, like a bad relationship with money. And it's not like agreed. It's more of like, air to me so it's if there's and that number is always changing and that's the interesting thing so it's when you're younger and you don't have access to as much you're like okay well if i just have five hundred dollars i'll be good i'll be at peace there's no number Mm because your numbers are infinite so like you know there is no end there is no um there's not going to be a validation in this infinite thing if that's what you're looking for so i like consciously i know that but to feel it is totally different and until you feel it it's not going to become your reality so there still are times like if i for example i took maternity leave so i wasn't doing anything i wasn't working i wasn't podcasting i was supposed to just be enjoying that moment um and there were definitely times where that would rear its ugly head and i would be like 
I'm going to lose everything. And what if Mm. everyone forgets who I am and the podcast goes to zero and like just like the most ridiculous, overwhelming, um, catastrophic ideas would come into my head. And I know it's not real. And um, I know how silly it sounds, but the feeling was there. So, I mean, there's definitely work to do on that end. And it's probably going to be ongoing, but I know I'm going to like chisel away at it. That's a practice. Of, I mean, that sounds like a, um, it sounds like a challenging childhood. It's not the storybook childhood mm-hmm. that uh, you would write for, for, for your children. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, and you were what, what we would call an early, you were early promoted. You were forced into the role of an adult when you were still a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to, you were responsible for your safety and you couldn't always ensure that. And that had to bring a lot of stuff with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you had you were forced to move, and you were forced to make new friends, and you were forced to go to different schools, mm-hmm. and you had no say in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, of course, I'm going to be financial. I'm going to be independent. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be fine. I don't need anybody because mm-hmm. I'm going to be. I'm going to make sure that I'm okay. And uh, and yeah, and you can do that with certain aspects, but that doesn't change the inside. It just changes the outside. You can. I'm going to make sure I have a house. I'm going to make sure I have resources. Mm-hmm. And then good luck forming a healthy relationship with someone else when you're that independent. It's impossible because Mm -hmm. you do need to have, it's kind of like one of those Venn diagrams. Like that's how I see a healthy relationship is like you still maintain independence, but then there's this like interdependence together that you do share. And it's different than like being codependent where those circles are, it looks like one circle because you're so overlapped. So um, when you're completely like, I'm going to provide, I'm going to be like this very masculine energy. Like I'm both the man and the woman. So where's there room for Eric? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of our challenges earlier on, earlier on in our relationship was like me allowing space for him to come in because I wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like to me, that was a level of vulnerability that I just couldn't risk because again, that scarcity mindset, not like there was enough to go, you know what I mean? Like there's enough for both of us, enough space for both of us. Enough space and... I'm not going to allow myself to, I don't need you. Right. I'm going to let you in for a while, I do, but I don't need you because it could have hurt too much. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is um, so different, different childhoods, but my father was a, a raging alcoholic and had a temper. Mm-hmm. So we always, we never knew what the next 10 minutes could be. Mm. And um, so I found myself at a, like I was the peacemaker. I could, I could make him laugh. I can get him to bed um i can get him like yeah that was one of my roles and i always thought uh i've thought a lot about independence i that's one other story that ties to this is my mom um she left st louis uh at 18 right after high school moved to new york to become a writer it's kind of like the Mad Men story she uh she was a secretary that became a writer and and uh and i love that story and it's only later in life that i've looked back at that story and said well wait a minute she left her four siblings who loved her to move to a city where she didn't know anybody and she started dating my father when he was still married to somebody else and then they got divorced and then we got to be the new family um and a lot of my illusions about what it meant to be independent what it meant to be an entrepreneur meant to be successful i started to question so again i know my mom loved me so 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 much it's not that not, mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying here. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm looking at the behavior, the things that I, at one point in my life, I celebrated and wanted to embody. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be my own person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realizing, well, that's led to, I was gone too much when my kids were young. Um, mm-hmm. Did I ever give my wife the same, the amount of love and support that she's given me? I don't think so. And I didn't even know it. I mm-hmm. didn't know it. So again, it's just, uh, I'm not quite sure how we got to here in this discussion, but mm-hmm. that's the, the medicine is, is, again, helps provide some levels of clarity. And then it's all this other work that goes around it that, okay, how do you unpack this? How do you, how do we make more room for people we, we love or who love us mm-hmm. um, in our lives? And how do we, uh, one of the programs I did was, was looking at all the things we didn't like about our parents and writing them down. Mm-hmm. They were selfish and they were didn't keep me safe and they did this and they did that. And then taking time to really look at our own actions and be like, oh, shit, I've adopted this and this and that. I might call it something different, but it's the same behavior. Um, and that level of work, no way would I have done that five years ago. No way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very grateful to be doing it now. Um, and still on this journey and meeting people like you and Eric and being able to have these discussions. Um, last thing I'm going to say on this, I'll stop talking, I promise, is this, this <laughs> idea of intimacy. Mm-hmm. This like, as a guy, I think we're taught, we're only taught that intimacy is sex. Mm-hmm. And again, at a very late age, I'm like, oh my God, no, you can be intimate with all sorts of people in this really beautiful ways. And I want more of that. Mm-hmm. And I can have more of that than I ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a really beautiful journey. So I just went down a rabbit hole. I'm not sure how you got me down to this, but it's- No, <laughs> that's, that's when it's good. You're just flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, the intimacy piece, I think, is really important to touch on because I also feel like I was in a space where I conflated intimacy with sex. Mm-hmm. and But when you do that, you lose all intimacy then it just becomes sex and it becomes just like an act. Like there is no actual connection. Um, And then you can obviously scale that into like intimate friendships that are platonic. Like they don't have to be romantic. Um, But again, that that requires like a level of of vulnerability. And a lot of people, especially if you come from any trauma, like that's the last thing that you want to do. Because if you allow space to be vulnerable, then that means you can hurt me. And that means I'm no longer in control or have the idea that I'm in control because none of us actually are. Um, but yeah, I think there's always space to kind of improve on with that. I mean, I've been with Eric now for, I think we're going with 12 years and there's still space to become more intimate. And one of the things that we are planning on doing is when I'm done breastfeeding and when my body becomes my own again is like, is doing an MDMA ceremony Mm -hmm. with, um, with Roger and to like kind of reconnect because there's no way around it when you bring in like a new life it's like well that's the priority like he gets the biggest piece of the pie right now unfortunately you know because everyone there's only so much he can do for himself um so i think it is important for couples that have been together for a really long time to constantly be checking in because i i think it's very easy to get lazy and to kind of neglect our partner and um, we just assume, especially if you're married, that they're just going to be there and they're just going to have to tough it out. And I don't need to take care of myself anymore because 
I landed you. Like your attraction to me doesn't matter. Um, I don't need to cook for you anymore. You can mm-hmm. fix your own plate. Well, I mean, it's that's like a sign of love, right? If food is universal, I should want to give you something. So I see a lot of um, like tit for tat in relationships and that's kind of, um, that's a problem. Yeah, or keeping score. Yeah. I did the dishes, but you didn't do the laundry. This, is un- this isn't fair. Right, you can't do that. The whole idea of 50-50 is toxic. So I've heard like you want to squash the 50-50 and it's like everyone should be doing 100%. Like I show up at 100%, you show up at 100%, not this. I took out the trash and I let out the dog and what have you been doing all day? Like that's not love. Yeah, this, this again, I'm going to bring back that same... Uh, integrator who talks about a hundred percent accountability you are a hundred percent accountable for everything in your life Mm -hmm. so if you don't have a good relationship with your partner you are a hundred percent responsible for that um if you have a great relationship you're a hundred percent responsible and on and on and on you've manifested all of this and how are you going to uh yeah how are you what are you going to keep doing in your movie so are you going to keep continuing this are you going to do you want to stay in that relationship do you not want to stay in that relationship what would you what are you going to do um but you can't control what the other person does. So mm-hmm. you can, you can get hundred percent accountable for yourself. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had or seen instances? Cause this is, um, I know this is a common fear with, with, especially with couples is that people go in together and then they realize we shouldn't, we're no longer like a good fit. I haven't, I haven't seen that in the, um, if anything, I've seen the opposite. I've seen people who, clearly are um struggling with whatever they're struggling with and and rediscover kind of what were those core elements and then work on nurturing that um thinking about that here i have seen single people who came without their um spouse mm-hmm. sorry they're sorry sorry they were married but they came alone at the end realize i don't think i'm in the right relationship as a person who works in the space i would encourage them okay great and don't make any decisions you take some time this is you take weeks and work on this before mm-hmm. you use you don't jump off right from the psychedelic experience mm-hmm. but uh yeah i haven't but i'm sure it happens i'm sure people come through that and say yeah we just we've, we've we're at different points and that's okay and it's probably i could see as a, a beautiful way to let go of someone if if that's where if that's what you wanted to do mm-hmm yeah, that happened at, um, I wasn't there for it, but the like counselors at BioCybernet Cy- were talking about it. And he said it happened, it, it happens not like frequently, but it does happen. And the interesting thing is once they decide that they're no longer a, a proper fit, like there's no bad feelings. Like, mm-hmm. No one's sad. No one's angry. There's like no resentment. They're just like happy and want the best for their person. Like this is the most love I've felt for this person in a really long time, which I think is so interesting. Cause you're like, how is that possible? Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think what's shows up for you is what is supposed to show up for you in those experiences. Yeah. But I think so many people break up or get divorced badly. Right. It's okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not strong enough to end this. So I'm going to go have an affair and mm. then we get, and I'm going to do it in a way that I'm going to get caught. Mm. And I'm going to do that to create drama because I really just want this to end and I need all that noise around me to do this. Um, and then that's so disruptive. It's disruptive to children. It's disruptive to everybody. It's 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 hard. Um, and going at it with love, I can love you and I don't want to be with you, but I still want nothing but great things for you. Mm-hmm. That uh, that could be, a, I think, MDMA or MDA 
for that purpose could be really beautiful for decoupling. Mm, that's really interesting. So um, I know you have a drive. So I wanted to touch on one more thing and then we can check to see if we have any super chats. Sure. Um, when it comes to psychedelics, are there people that shouldn't take them? Because I've heard... so. Um, Alex Berenson wrote this book and it was mostly on cannabis and it was bringing to light that some people do tend to have a schizophrenic break that they don't come back from with high dose edibles or or dabs when it comes to cannabis. Um, Now, where the conversation is, is whether they were predisposed to schizophrenia and then that was just the trigger that turned that gene expression on or if you have a relatively healthy person that isn't predisposed that is now schizophrenic so um i've heard with psychedelics it's kind of similar that if you have certain mental illness that runs in your family genetically that you have to be very careful and with some people depending on the severity of it that you should kind of stay away from it altogether so i think if i dr james fattyman just did a uh or did a, an interview recently with Sam Harris about this. And I'm going to try to paraphrase. I'm going to do the best I can. Okay. But he talked about the, the incentives of academia to study. So he says, okay, if, you're gonna, if it's hard enough to study psychedelics, mm-hmm. and if you're going to be allowed to study psychedelics, are you going to choose to study any of these really hard groups, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, or are you going to take a more straight line? The answer is they're going to take straight lines. They're gonna, they they want to weed those out. So there's not... Yes, Johns Hopkins, Imperial College, they'll all say, if you have bipolar, you have schizophrenia, you have that in your one separation of your family, you shouldn't do this clinical study, you shouldn't do psychedelics. I think what James Fadiman is saying is, but they don't know. That is just because that's the way research has gone and there's no research that says it's safe and it's illogical to assume this. So then he says, so let's turn to citizen scientists, let's look at the Reddit groups. And there are Reddit groups of bipolar people who take psychedelics. There are Reddit. There's actually, there's a whole autistic society related to psychedelics. It's really no doing, idea. oh, it's so cool. So cool. Um, went to a dinner with, with one of them. And, and then um, at the uh, Microdose Conference in Miami, there was a, a book signing of, um, but with this author who's talking about how much of an impact psychedelics did on him, that he wasn't able to uh, read facial expressions but then with the help of LSD, Whoa. he was able to understand differently. It's like, oh, that's, that's of course you were. Of course that makes sense. Um, and that some of the things were, were looked at as not feeling, he was able through psychedelics to feel differently. So cool. That's very cool. Is there a lot of research on it? There's not. Mm-hmm. But again, there's a lot of, there's so you can find... Um, you can find groups that talk about this. Mm-hmm. So I don't quite know how to answer that. I think if you have um, schizophrenia in your family or bipolar, then maybe that's another level of precaution that you should be thinking about before you do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe looking at some of that citizen science and thinking about it, but also knowing that you're probably not going to find the research. You're going to have to feel into this yourself mm-hmm. and see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Um Besides for that, there are definitely contraindications with certain medications. So uh, again, in my book, I'd go through eight different medicines and very specifically talk about what is a, what is a known contraindication, so something to be aware of. 
Um, for most, uh, what's nice about ketamine as the, the only legal psychedelic is that because it works in your glutamate system, you can actually be on antidepressants and take ketamine at the same time. Um, the latest research appears that you can also do psilocybin while on antidepressants. You just need more of it. Mm. But that the risk of serotonin syndrome, which is what people thought would happen, is uh, is less than what um, was originally thought. So I think that's interesting. Um, but other types of antidepressants, MAOIs, and um, again, just be aware of which medicine you're taking and the, uh, the potential contraindications. There is some really good work being done. There's a person out there. Dr. Ben uh, Malcolm, and he's called the Spirit Pharmacist. If you look that up online, okay. I think for three hundred dollars, he will. He's, so he's a he's a he's a uh, a PharmD. So he's got a, he's specialized in uh, in pharmaceuticals, and he's a uh, passionate about psychedelic medicine. And for like three hundred dollars, he'll do a one hour consult anywhere in the country on what are you on and what are you th- thinking about using, and this is what you need to know, or this is how you could potentially wean yourself off. Without, um, yeah, he gives, he does, and he has a membership program where you can have access to his resources beyond that. So, uh, yeah, the Spirit Pharmacist, I'm not sure if it's the spiritpharmacist.com or whatever, but look that up online. And that's a good resource for really anybody, wherever they are, if they're concerned about what am I taking and uh, how could this potentially interact. That's a good resource for you. What a cool time to be alive. So that that's cool. a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I say that all the time. I mean, there's so many ways. This is like the best, we know this is the best time in the history of the world to be alive and. We know there's a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. and that's all okay. Mm -hmm. That's all okay. Yeah. Well, no, this was awesome. Um, Jamie, do we have any super chats? No. Okay. Let me scroll up super quick. Um, One is from magic GoPro. It says I have a fantasia. What would you recommend for me? Do you know what that is? I don't know what that is. Let me see if I can Google it really quick. <laughs> Fantasia. Watch it not even be like a real no. thing. And then it's like a gotcha. <laughs> I'm really bad at those. No, no, no. When you are blind in your mind. I've never heard of that. You know, it's, it's, so I've, I've, I've been on journeys with people who've been colorblind and, uh, and they've been able to see the colors. So this is someone who's the inability to create a mental image. I've never heard of that, but that sounds awful. That sounds like a, that sounds hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I, it would be super interesting to see if the same, if that holds true with psilocybin or LSD or um, DMT, one of the, the very visual, um, would be interesting. So if that person wasn't willing to commit to a six or eight hour journey, what's nice about DMT or even 5-MeO DMT, which is Bufo, those are like 20, 25 minutes. So that's intense, super intense. It's a rocket ship. Um, and they're, the DMT particularly is incredibly visual. Um, so it would be interesting to see if it's visual for that person. I, I, just, I don't know. I've never Yeah, maybe try that spirit that. pharmacist and see if they have more insight. I don't know. He, the spirit pharmacist would be good if there's, an, if there's a drug interaction that was causing that. Um, I don't know. I think I would turn this. I'd Go to Reddit maybe? Go to Reddit maybe. Yeah, yeah or, I haven't um, even heard of that. You know, there's also a bunch of integrators. If you go to the MAP, so the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, um, they have a number of integrators on their website that, um, again, these people aren't going to help you find the medicine. Mm-hmm. 
but they might help you. So it might be somewhere that person could go and find someone from near them. Be like, hey, have you ever heard of this? And maybe those people on the map site have some more experience in this and could say, oh yeah, you could check this out or might know somebody to call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep us posted. That's interesting. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. about that. Um, it yeah. was cool at the colorblind person who, uh, I, I mean, see. ah, and just because when you, at least again, in my experience, I've never seen so many colors. I thought I saw the colors before. I was wrong. And I think this person had that first glimpse of, wow, this is a really colorful universe I live in and just hadn't thought that for his first 50 years of life. So mm. it, was, uh, it was super cool to watch. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I would want to do, I'd be curious about one of those short-lived ones because for me, um, the intimidating factor with a lot of them is the time commitment mm-hmm. because I'm like, I don't know if I want to, be gone for that long so even if it's intense if i know it's going to be short-lived to me that seems a little bit like less of a gamble but i totally get that and that that um yeah i love i mean i think my i have you had to pick a favorite i mean that five meo dmt is such a beautiful beautiful medicine mm-hmm. um i mean they t- in, the, in the we talk about it's like it's your it's your personal conversation with god for 20 minutes that's so cool it's wild like you just for me, I just dissolve into like the energy of the universe, mm. and there's no anything. There's no you. There's no. It's just everything and everybody's energy, and it just feels so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful medicine. Well, see, that's why I think it's important that context is taken into account and that there's a facilitator or at least like you know what you're doing because I accidentally did DMT one time. So you say, how does that happen? Well, I was at someone's house party and I thought that it was just weed. It was a vape pen? Yes. No one told me. Like, I think someone had told me that it was weed. I would never, ever, ever, ever have done that, especially at that stage of my life ever considered it but i'm like oh it's just weed and i'll just have like you know a couple of puffs or whatever and whoo and i get taken out and i'm in the worst place ever for about 20 minutes where i just thought i was gonna get murdered and buried in the desert it was horrible and there was like girls in the corner that were like also freaking out and i'm like you can't just hand stuff to people so yeah this is why i'm like you need to be very conscientious of where you're taking it who you're taking it with because that was nothing like that beautiful conversation with god that you had (laughs) i wish that was my my experience so hopefully next time i'm in a better setting and i know that i'm taking it um but this was amazing. I'd love to have you back on anytime I'd that you're. I'd love to be back. Yeah, there's the, so many other yeah. things I'd love to touch on. But before we close out, do you just want to tell the viewers and listeners where um, they can get your book and how they can follow you and support you and keep up with all I of your work? Really appreciate that. So psychedelics for everyone is available anywhere books are sold. It's also we have an audio book now, and that's kind of fun. It was fun to put that together. Did you read it? Um, I so Dr. Carlos Warder wrote the four that he wrote. I wrote all the pieces that I wrote, and then Leslie Howard wrote all the pieces that women wrote. So I wanted to, to honor the voices of the okay. uh, of the women who wrote their chapters. So uh, yeah, it was fun to put that together. And uh, and then mattzeman.com is uh, my website. And then I'm going to put on mattzeman.com slash Candice. Uh, I'll put a free guide to microdosing just so people can, if they're interested in the microdosing, that they can uh, they can go there and kind of read the protocols and, and see if things are of a... See different ways to microdose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I definitely want to talk about that in the future with you for sure. Sure, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll put all those links at the bottom once we turn this over. Um, we did get one more question really quick. 
Um, this is from Magic GoPro, and it says, I've taken mushrooms with very limited visual effects, face melting or fluid wood grain. Is there a question there? Or you just wanted me to know? <laughs> I did not have a lot of visual effects either, Magic, so I think if that's what you're aiming for, maybe try again. I don't know. Yeah, try again. With just the time. first time doesn't always work for people. but. Mm-hmm. And maybe change the dosage and um, add a ceremony if you didn't do that. Um, yeah, lots of lots of ways to lots get there. Lots of ways to get there. Okay. Well, thank you everyone who showed up. Thank you for doing this podcast, especially in person. It's so much better that so way. So much more fun in person. Um, I look forward to having you back on. Thank you, Candace. Thanks for having me. Yeah.